I need you to open up your Bible to Mark chapter uh, 14, and we're going to start at uh, page or verse 40, 53. And if you don't have a Bible, grab one, page 851. Um, little little audience participation here. Um, this week, as I was reading through this, I we, we've got this p- picture of Peter, you know, and earlier on in in uh, the discipleship journey. Uh, Jesus looked at him and said, "You know, your name is Cephas. I'm going to call. It, I, I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you the Rock." And I started thinking, "Man, name changes. I, I, I like that kind of thing. You know, he, Jesus saw something in him, and it's like, you know what? I see something in you, Rock. You know, I, I think of uh, some of those movies. You know." Where there's you've got that ultimate hero in the movie, and you look at him and go, "Oh, if I could emulate that man, my wife would be uber pleased." You know, it's like, yeah, you know, he's he's built maybe a little smaller than me, but uh, you know, he's got this personality. He's able to save the world from nuclear disaster by catching these little balls on Alcatraz that could have just decimated the world. You know, and then I think back to my childhood about some of the television shows that I watched that kind of as a, as a little boy formed me into a little man and formed me into what I am today of all these shows that said, you know, this is what it means to be a man. My ultimate hero, and it, it did not please my mom that I watched this show, but my ultimate show that I love to watch, and this stays here until it goes out on, I guess, iTunes, but... Um, was He-Man. You know, I loved He-Man. You know, he was in this little bad thong kind of thing with furry kind of chest stuff. And, you know, he'd, he'd lift up this, this, uh, this sword. Does anybody know what he said? By the power of Greystone. I have the power. And then also he's struck by lightning. And he goes out and he just battles. You know, he rides this cat kind of thing. And he just conquers the world. He's just the strong man. And I go, yeah, you know, uh, I can't see myself quite running around in a a thong, and neither should you ever picture that in your mind. But, you know, there, there's something about me that goes, I can identify with that. I want to be that kind of strong man. The other kind of man that I identified when I was a kid, now start thinking who, who it is for you. Um, how many of you ever remember the show called Hogan's Heroes? Oh, I love Colonel Hogan. He was this, he was a different kind of He-Man. He was not, uh, you know, running around. He, he was, uh, a, a, what, First World War, Second World War? I forget which one. But uh, he was in uh, Stalag 13 with Colonel Klink, uh, was head of uh, the prison that he was, he was in. But Hogan, Colonel Hogan, was the man because he always had a plan. He had a way to get in and a way to get out. He had a way to uh, help the allies win the battle. You know, he was the guy, and he was smooth. He, there was something extremely smooth about Colonel Hogan, and everybody loved him. And he had a way to almost schmooze his way even into the German offices and get his way with Klink. Um, and I just love that. So for you, as you think, and ladies, you know, maybe it's a strong woman. 
as you think of your growing up, who was it that you quickly identified with and said, yes, that person? And why? Real quick, go. Who? Don't tell me you don't have anything. Because then I call you a liar. Steve. Oh, MacGyver. Seriously. He could save the world with dental floss. There's something impressive. Are you MacGyver today? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Through the IT world, Steve saves the world. Who else? MacGyver. That's a good one. I didn't think about him. You didn't have MacGyver back then? Mom and Pop shows. Lucy. Annette, who? Who is it? Demon! My mom! <laughs> Annette Funicello. No, I, I have. Wonder Woman. Yeah. Anybody else? Batman? Which, which Batman? <laughs> if it came with toys, he was my hero. The Green Hornet, yeah. Who? Yeah, you want to preach? That's good. Anybody else? Oh, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. Yeah. That's classic. Anybody else? Who is it? 80s cartoon. I was out of the house by then. Uh-huh. Okay, so we, we've got all these heroes and we've got certain things that we say, this is what it means to be a strong man, a strong woman. You know, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, you know, she could do it all. There was something about her. At the end of the story, it all came together and everyone goes, ah, oh, Dr. Quinn. He-Man, you know, he conquered the world. And there was something about where you go, yes, I, I want that. You know, we all have these people that we look to and we go, pedestal, put them there. I want to be like that. Now, we've got this... This section in Mark, where um, as we read through it, we've got two pictures of two solid men. One that we could probably identify more with, if we're honest, and one that we want to emulate. We want to, if I would just put myself to death and all my wants and all my needs, to be like Christ. So we've got Peter and we've got Jesus Christ. So, follow along with me. Starting at verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chiefs and elders and scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for they bore false witness against him, but their testimony could not did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, 
I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we, do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant, go- servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were saying, I know neither, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out to the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to, to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly. You are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Upon the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter was there and he even said, Oh, Lord, if it's your will, let's build a tabernacle and just stay here and enjoy this. You know, he was right there. He, he saw things that nobody saw. He heard things that nobody had seen. He was, he was in the, the closest crowd with Jesus. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, Jesus said, Listen, Soon the shepherd is going to be struck and all of you are going to disappear. You're all going to scatter. And Peter goes, surely not me, Lord. The rest of them, yes, but not me. I will stay closest to you. I I will be the he-man of the day. I will be the, the one. You'll see, Jesus. I will stick closest to you. 
And surely, Judas, the betrayer, comes. Judas Iscariot comes with the whole crowd. Peter, with a last-ditch effort, pulls out his sword, strikes the high priest's servant's ear off, slices it off. And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 Peter, put the sword away. That's not, that's not how I, I do business here. And he puts the ear back onto Malchus, who is the servant. And we were left last week seeing that everybody fled. Everybody fled. Including this last little picture of a, of a naked young man running through the garden. Because they had seized his linen clothes. Even Peter the hero, the strong man, left. When the pressure was on, even Peter left. And we've got this picture of a, a Peter coming back. Coming back from the garden, wherever he ran from, Peter was still committed to making good on his promise that he would never forsake Jesus. And what does he do? He comes even into the inner court where Jesus is being, being tried. Jesus is, is with all, all the high priests and all the, 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 the whole council was up in this room trying Him at night, which, by the way, was illegal. But they put Jesus in the room and Peter was, man, I've got to get as close to the action as possible because I want Jesus to know that I, I will not betray Him. I am not going to leave Him behind. I'm going to be there. Jesus, Peter still wanted to make good on his promise, his heartfelt conviction, convictions that, you know what? I'm strong enough to do this. I believe that I am able to do this. I love Jesus enough. I am able to complete this. I will be there till the very end. And what we see here is that we've got this picture of Jesus being tried again. And we've got Peter again being tried. We've got Jesus in front of the whole council and they kept on throwing accusations and bringing in witnesses. And the witnesses, their, their testimony did not match up. If there was a slightest error between the testimonies of two witnesses, that testimony had to be thrown out. So as they brought in people, they'd listen to one testimony, they'd listen to another testimony, they'd listen to another, and they go, oh, that doesn't, they're, they're not quite right. And time and time again, the high priest, he had to be getting frustrated. go, all right, well, that didn't work. Throw them out. Let's hear, well, what is your witness? Well, he said that he was going to tear down the whole temple, which in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah said that the temple was going to be torn down. And Jeremiah came, had to be brought in before the religious leaders and was beaten. And he was put on trial as well. So Jesus said the same thing. Listen, this, this temple is going to come down and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. But even there, their, their witnesses, their testimonies didn't match up. And the whole time, Jesus was absolutely silent. And what had to be killing Joseph Caiaphas, the high priest at that time, was with Jesus' silence. He was winning. Jesus didn't even open His mouth once. And the prosecution 
was just falling apart. Until Caiaphas, at the end of his rope, said, Who are you? Is it true that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One, Son of God? To which Jesus had to be honest. And He had to give testimony about Himself. He was not going to veil His identity. These guys... Ultimately, at the end of the day, Jesus said, listen, this is a question that I must answer. And He said, I am. I am the Anointed One. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of the Blessed One. I am the Son of God. And then He says this, which, which just sent the whole room, I'm sure, into a tizzy. Not only did He say He was the Son of God, but then He comes and says, and you will see the Son of Man. You will see Me seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So basically, what, what Jesus is saying is, listen, not only am I the Son of God, not only am I who I said I am, but I am ultimately coming to judge you. As you sit on judgment on me right now, there's going to be a day where I am coming with power. And I am coming on the clouds of heaven for judgment. And that's not a picture that we, we really like to hear about Jesus. We like this nice, gentle and meek Jesus in this kind of white flowing uh, gown kind of thing with a nice little blue, you know, depending on what time of the, the calendar year it is. Maybe it's a nice blue or a purple sash or, you know, something like that where Jesus is kind of floating ethereally over the ground. But Jesus says, listen, I am, I am, you will see me seated at the right hand of the Father and you will see me coming in judgment. In judgment. If God is coming in judgment, that means that there must be something to be judged. And in our kind of postmodern time, we don't like to hear that God is coming and that He might be judging us. Because we live in a time where, you know, what works for you is good for you. What works for me is good for me. You know, we kind of need to coexist. If you've seen those bumper stickers, we need to all just get along and respect and say, you know what, if you want to be Hindu, if you want to be Buddhist, if you want to be Muslim, if you want to be, you know, that's all right. That's okay. Your perspective is just fine. If it works for you, it works for you. But Jesus says, this, listen, ultimately, I'm going to be coming and I'm coming in judgment to say yes or no. You even see in his parables where I, he'll be coming and he'll be sifting through. He'll be saying, here's the sheep, here's the goats. Here's the wheat, here's the tares. He's coming for judgment. And at that, you see the high priest taking his high priestly garments and just ripping them 
and tearing them and say, no, can you believe this? This is blasphemy. He is saying that he is God. This is the ultimate crime. Who cares about all this other stuff? He says he's God. And at that, they again all cast judgment on him and condemn him for death. Jesus spoke once. This is who all made their decisions of death. He needs to be condemned to death. Jewish law says he must be stoned, but because the Romans were in charge of the city, in charge of the area, they had to carry out the execution plan. So that, that's coming on later on in our, in our upcoming weeks. But Jesus is condemned to death. The religious people of the day condemned him to death. The religious people of the day. Because they just could not fathom that He was the Christ. The question for us as we gather, we're the religious people of the day. We're the church. The question is, what do we say? Who is this man? Is He just another great teacher? Or is He Christ? The Son of God? Is He who He says He is? Or is He just another good moral man? If He is who He says He is, are we willing to follow Him and submit our lives completely and totally to Jesus Christ and His will and His way in our complete life? From everything to our sexuality, to our, our, our finances, to our way that we view uh, Scripture, the way that we view our lives, our, our personal, our marriages, our children, everything. Are we willing to give everything to Him and say, listen, you are Lord of it all. Because if you are the Son of God, I must submit my life to you completely with everything. But Mark doesn't stop there. Mark keeps on going. And he brings us outside after we see Christ's faithfulness to saying, this is who I am. And he doesn't waver one single bit. It's almost as if Mark invites us and says, now come outside. I want you, you need to see this out. with the Nazarene. With Jesus. I, I know. I've seen you with Him. 
I've seen you with Him. There's something about, yeah, I recognize you. You and Jesus, you were together. There's something about, yeah, you guys were together. And Peter quickly goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. You're mistaken. I don't know this man, and I don't understand what you're talking about. How quickly do we do that? In our workplaces, our day-to-day lives, where we go, "Mm." yeah, go church. That's about all I'm going to tell you, though. Because church is just really kind of this safe little social club. But if people say, Jesus Christ, yeah? You go, please don't ask me those questions. You know, I don't, I don't know. There's something about that. He was quickly identified with Jesus Christ. There was three years of his life. Later on in Acts, as, as Peter is standing up preaching before the crowds, the religious leaders said, you know what? These are common men. But you know what? I can tell you that these common men, the, these idiotes, these idiots, these village idiots, They've been with Jesus. There's something about them. The power of their words, the power of their life, the power of their preaching, the witness that they bear says that they've been with Jesus. And Peter, what does he do? He quickly denies. He quickly denies. He denied it. I neither know nor understand what you mean. I... I have no clue what you're talking about. And so what does Peter do? He does one of these, tuck his tail in between his, his legs and kind of walks out to the, kind of gets out of that crowd. It's like, give me some safe distance. Give me some, give me away from that, that girl because she asked me an awkward question. And then it says that, again, the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, so she's talking about it and saying, okay, he, I know he was with that Jesus, but then she changes the question or the, the statement. This man is one of them. Followers who are following closely after Jesus Christ. Not many of us want to say that I'm identified with the church or groups of people. But there was something about Peter that says, yeah. He identifies with these brothers and sisters and there's, there's something about them. And again, Peter, he denied it again. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand the, even the question. I, I'm not part of them, Okay. Please don't involve me into the them. You know, and how quickly do we say, you know, the church, you know, don't mix me up with them. They're screwed up, messed up people. I do not want to be... Yes, I individually am a Christian. But the church, I'm really the church. You know, because Jesus lives in me. Me and Jesus have this personal thing going on. But, you know, the church... No, not really. I'd really like a divorce decree against the church because they're screwed up and they're messed up. 
the church, there's no hope for the church today. They're just this great big institution, and all they want is my money, and they want my time, and they exhaust me, and they're a bunch of hypocrites. Did you see what happened in the world wars? They did this, and it was just this atrocity. I don't want to be in, uh, no. That's not me. And we do that all the time, don't we? We, we don't even, we have a hard time even connecting with each other. Because you know what? Jim Ailes ticks me off. There's something about Jim that bothers me. Oh, Todd Taven. There's those days I just want to beat him. I, you want me to be in a small group and to be in a relationship with him? Are you, are you smoking crack? Come on. Liz Hendricks? Do you know how emotional she can get? And then she's got all this stuff. And then, have you met my mom? What about this guy? What about, I don't want to be involved with these church people because these church people are nothing but they're just messed up emotional psychos. I don't like them. I don't want to be identified with them. True? I'd like a divorce decree against the church. And there was something else that just goes on. One of the I am not. Do not associate me with this man, these people. Just because I talk different doesn't mean that I'm part of that. Come on. Give me a break. There's different commentators who say that, you know, he started calling down curses upon himself. Well, some commentators say that he was calling down curses on Christ on this man, and then all of a sudden, the rooster crowed a second time. And isn't, isn't it ironic how God works in those moments where we're in just total denial and we are just we are being hard-nosed, self-reliant, self-assured, strong, I am He-Man, I can do this, you know what, I'm going to survive all the way to the cross, but I've got to get by these people. I've got to get by the world. I've got to suck it up and just get through. That all of a sudden God breaks in and goes, cock-a-doodle-doo. A rooster. It doesn't even say that Peter recognized the first one. The second one, all of a sudden there's this, the rooster crows. And all of a sudden the flood Everything comes back. Everything. It, it, it says here that and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And it's tied there. There really should not be a, Peter, uh, a period right there. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered. 
cock-a-doodle-doo. And all of a sudden, Peter goes, oh. I'll deny him three times before the rooster crows twice. He broke down and just totally broke down. We use this the word there for for wept is it's used for those who mourn for the dead. They're weeping as a sign of deep, deep pain. Just deep pain of, oh, I did it. I'm broken. I, did, I hear the words of Christ just ringing in my ears. I hear Him calling and telling me who I am and what I'm going to do, that I'm a broken and sinful man, and that though I'm self-assured and I think that I'm strong, I'm the he-man of my day, that I am going to deny Him again and again and again. Cock-a-doodle-doo, that's who I am. And Peter breaks down and just weeps. He just weeps. He's just shattered. This, this word for broke down is often used for even ships crashing into rocks. Just broken. He's just broken down on the ground weeping. Because he recognizes Christ's voice and the truth that He spoke into His life. And part of this, I, I hate this stuff. Because it's me. A paid Christian professional. I'm paid to preach and study and to share the Gospel, the good news. And I've got to remember, I've got to apply it myself. And do you, do you get that for you? That you are broken? That on your own, you are hopeless? You're Peter? How much longer do we have to wait for the cock a doodle doo in your life and God saying, listen, that's it. Remember what I told you? Quit fighting me. Quit trying to do it on your own. Quit fighting me. I wonder if it would have been any different if Jesus would have said, you know what, uh, the shepherd is going to be struck and all of you are going to scatter. And Peter goes, I know. I'm probably going to lead the way. I know. But I can only rely on you and your, your faithfulness. I recognize my weakness. I recognize your strength. It's only in you that I'm able to survive. You are the only one. But for Peter, he was like the prodigal son found in a pig pen and all of a sudden the reality, the cold hard facts of, man, I'm eating pig stuff. Where he recognizes the Father's goodness. Where he goes, man, God is good. 
My father is good. I need to go back to that. And what does the son do? Father, he has this whole speech conjured up. Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. Um, I just, I just want to, I want to work as one of your common servants. I, I, I'm just worth nothing. And the father in that story of the prodigal son doesn't even let those words get out. And he says, welcome home. You, you, your repentance was done because you turned and you came back. I'm welcoming you home with open arms. But I think for us, what we're going to do this morning is the hard work. And this is where it's going to become the dangerous work. Because each of you, as you came in, should have received one of these. And if you did not get one of these... I'll give you a ton. Anybody else? Oh yeah, audience participation. Doesn't happen in a mega church. Welcome home. We are going to do the hard work of, of repenting and just saying, you know what? Like Thomas Watson, who wrote this beautiful book called The Doctrine of Repentance, a whole book on it. Read the Puritans. They'll kick you in the tail every, week, every time. Thomas Watson said this, and it's on the top of that sheet right there. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Till sin be bitter, the sin, the junk, your rebellion, your self-assurance, your self-reliance, your, your whatever it is that is separating you and the voice of God, His direction, His will, His whatever in your life, Whatever it is, till that become bitter, Christ will never be sweet. I've got all these guys. Spurgeon, throw that up for me. Spurgeon says, uh, evangelical repentance is repentance of sin as sin. Not of this sin nor that, but of the whole mass. We repent of the sin of our nature as well as the sin of our practice. We bemoan sin within us and without us. We repent of sin itself as being an insult to God. Anything short of this is mere surface repentance and not a repentance which reaches to the bottom of the mischief. Kind of like a small little child, huh? Repentance is an evil of the evil act and not of the evil heart is like men pumping water out of a leaky vessel but forgetting to stop the leak. Some would dam up the stream but leave the fountain still flowing. They would remove the eruption from the skin but leave the disease in the flesh. Repentance is the turning and saying, I need to get rid of it all. It's not just, just mere lip service. It's saying, you know what? I've identified it. I'm going in for the cancer and I'm removing it all. I can't do it on my own. It's by strength that it only comes through Christ. Next. Carson. People do not drift toward holiness. I've used this quote before. D.A. Carson says, People don't naturally drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, People do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience 
and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and we call it faith. It goes on. We cherish the indiscipline of our lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves towards thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Peter had to come to the point where ultimately he said, listen, hmm, I cannot do this. And I, if the church of Jesus Christ would recognize how greatly sin breaks the heart of God, And be like Peter, where he breaks down and weeps. I believe there's hope for the church. And that's why we're going to do these practices of repentance. We've done this before. But you're going to find quickly that this is going to be a natural part of our practice. We're going to repent. It says, please contact me. If that's something that you say, man, I need brothers or sisters or a pastor or an elder or somebody to call me, to hold me accountable, to encourage me, to help me through some counseling, I want you to write your name down. This is not going to go up on the big screen. You're not going to be judged. 